we went on this journey for six years, followed these children suffering, suffering with pediatric cancer and their families that are desperate to find something to help alleviate the suffering. And um, it's powerful. Welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. My guest today is the actress, talk show host, and documentary filmmaker, Ricky Lake. Ricky recently visited us in Big Sur to take part in the Esalen Inspirational Film Festival, where she presented her film, Weed the People, a documentary about the use of cannabis and the treatment of pediatric cancer. Together, we talked about what it was like to be discovered at the age of 18 in the film Hairspray, great advice that she got from her director in that film, John Waters, her 11-year stint on daytime television and what she learned from it, and how she came to produce documentary films, including the groundbreaking business of being born. Ricky is funny, smart, honest, and very wise. Here's my conversation with Ricky Lake. Tell me a little bit about, I have so many questions for you, but let's start off with the occasion that brings you to Esalen today. This time. So this, I think is my, I was trying to figure out whether this is my fourth or fifth time at Esalen. And even though I've only taken one workshop here, I've come for the day and, and, and a long time ago when I was staying at the Post Ranch Inn, but this time around, I'm bringing my documentary, Weed the People to this community for the Esalen Inspirational Film Festival. Weed the People is a documentary that um, is near and dear to my heart, par- partially because of the subject matter. It's about children. Uh, children suffering from pediatric cancer and exploring cannabis as as a as a plant that could help in their not only in their dealing with the symptoms and 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 side effects of chemotherapy but also with uh, tumor shrinkage so the subject matter is obviously super important and um, beyond that this film was really the culmination of a uh, a passion for my from my beloved husband Christian Evans who passed away uh, 2 years ago so this was really um his medicine. Um, he was on really a path to kind of do his own research for his own healing and his grandfather's healing. So this is truly his legacy. And so for me to present it is, is, is loaded in, in a big way. It's bittersweet and it's, it's super important to me. Can you talk a little bit about the, the journey of making a documentary film and in particular the journeys that you went on in making Weed the People? Well, I have to start by talking about my first documentary called The Business of Being Born. Um, That is, of all the projects, of all my, you know, 30 plus year career, um, it's the most personal. It's the most kind of the biggest sort of representation of of me and my voice and the things I I care about. And so it was it, it was a calling in making that film. And so that was my first venture in this genre. And um, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I hired my 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 dear friend, Abby Epstein to direct. She was a theater director who directed me in the vagina monologues off Broadway. And that's our history. That was our past. And she studied, you know, theater directing. And she made one documentary called Until the Violence Stops based on the, the V-Day movement. And, um, so I just really like, like just almost offhandedly, like offered her like, like, let's do this. And, um, and it stemmed from my profound birth experiences with my two sons. So that project took three and a half years to make all my own money. My birth footage is in the film. And so it was super personal. And so we put out that movie in 2008 and it's been now 11 years. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's been revolutionary, you know, for so many people, for so many practices and protocols and midwifery practices, and they teach an educational version at colleges and universities across the globe. And it's, I mean, it's been the most fulfilling project that really stemmed from my own curiosity about why things the way they are. Um, 
in that world, in the world of birth and that normal birth is being taken away from women unbeknownst to them and not for any good reason other than fear of malpractice and greed. And I mean, all those, you know, male patriarchy. I mean, the whole, the whole thing. What was really rewarding about that film is that I didn't expect the impact that it would have. It was really personal. It was just, I needed to do this project. I needed to step away from talk show, you know, which I felt to be a lot of nonsense, not a lot of you know, weight to the, to the subject matters that we were doing. So I wanted to do something that was meaningful to me. And so to see that it's meaningful for so many others has been really rewarding. And now with Weed the People, it's same kind of thing. It's again, why, why is this plant, why has it been like demonized and made a schedule one drug? I mean, it is completely outrageous. And again, this wasn't my, the questions I was asking. I wasn't a big cannabis user. I wasn't really, you know, active in the activist movement. Like I just, it wasn't my thing. I was more into women's empowerment and bodies and birth and all that. And it was my husband, Christian, who was really tapped into this world. And so we went on this journey for six years, followed these children suffering, suffering with pediatric cancer and their families that are desperate to find something to help alleviate the suffering. And um, it's powerful. It's, it's funny because both films, you know, at the time I didn't see the, 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 the linear through line. You know, I didn't really see the connection. And it's really about informed choice. The public really should be informed about cannabis and what it can do for just about any ailment you know, and, and, and we need to be reprogrammed, deprogrammed, um, you know, as to, you know, what this, what this medicine is and what it can do. We watched, uh, the business of being born, uh, several months ago. And one thing I really appreciated about it was your presence in the film. Mm-hmm. And are, are you also in Weed the People? I am not in Weed the People, although I just was watching cause I have another film that we're finishing now called Sweetening the Pill. Uh, which is takes on hormonal birth control and that we've been working on for four plus years. I mean, we, we did like a Kickstarter four years ago and I'm in, so I just watched, so Abby's the director, Abby does all the, you know, the, they're putting the movie together in New York with the editor and I'm kind of seeing bits and pieces. So I just watched a little bit to present here at Esalen and I am, my voice is in it. I'm interviewing people about their, their experiences with birth control. So I wonder if that's going to end up, I guess it's going to end up in the film, but yeah, the business, of, like I said, the business of being born was so personal. We, the people in the beginning, beginning when we first started the making of the film, which was in 2012 with another child that's not in the final film, we were sort of more participant in front of the camera because we were going on this journey with this child that I'd met and fallen in love with. Um, I'm not in the, I'm not in this film, but at the end we dedicate the film to Christian. So there's a tiny bit of footage of him with the baby, baby Sophie. So many people have seen the business of being born and they've seen you give birth on camera as well as you sort of grew up in, in front of the camera. And so much of the, the the attraction of the talk show that you did was sort of the audience can see the participants in the show through your perspective. What is it like to be known uh, in that sense? I mean, it's a really interesting level of fame that I have that I appreciate so much because I, I, you know, I've been in this business since I'm 18 years old. I'm now 50 years old. So it's like 30 plus years of being really active. I mean, I haven't stopped, you know, and I've had all these different twists and turns and reinventing myself and I love it all, you know. Um, but what I, what's really interesting. So, you know, whether it's like people I used to know, like Jennifer Aniston or Ellen DeGeneres, or like you can name all these people that I've known. I don't, I can't call them friends, but I, I know them and I, they have this kind of unapproached, maybe Ellen, not so much, but I, I kind of think so. Like my friend has a theory, my friend, Robin Roseanne, 
says, I was not born with the gene, that weird famous person gene where they're like aloof and they're unapproachable or they're, they're just, they're just not really open. And I've always been an open book and uh, you know, and I think I have another theory and I'm sort of extrapolating from my thoughts at this moment, but like I'm thinking out loud. I was also the consummate under my, my debut was with hairspray with John Waters. And you were 18. I was 18. I was 200 pounds and I was sort of the consummate underdog. And so I think becoming famous, like literally my character, Tracy becomes famous and star of the dance. I became famous as Tracy. So, so, and, and thankfully people fell in love with me. Like they did my character. So I I feel like there's like this. And then with my talk show, like, I feel like there's this relatability. There's this likability. There's a trust. No one's threatened by me. I don't, I don't come off like Oprah thinking I know everything. You know, and that's not a slam to her, but like she comes off like she like we want to know what Oprah knows because she knows everything. I'm the person trying to like figure it out with the people, you know, like I'm sort of the every woman. Uh-huh. And so I think beca- and being in people's living rooms in most places twice a day, every day for 11 years. What were the years that the that your um, talk show? My ran? first talk show was 93 to 2004. Mm-hmm. And then in places outside of the country, it played for even longer. Like in Israel, it played for many, many years. I mean, it was it was so, it's so weird to me. The places I never visited, I've since gone to Israel, but like they, my show was as big as Oprah's there. I mean, it was crazy. Australia and Singapore and this. I mean, it's just it's just yeah. When you just have to really think about it, it's really weird. It's it's like I love it. And 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 these days, what I love is when people have been impacted by my documentary work. That's. That's where it's like soul filling and, and, and it's, it's profound. Like women come up to me and they, they cry. I mean, it happens, I want to say daily. I mean, it happened the other day, four times in a day of people coming up to me. I forget where we were Four different. Oh, I was at the farmer's market. Of course you've changed my life, you know, like that your film. Thank you. You know, it's like, they're so deeply grateful because that rite of passage of becoming a mother, when you can be respected and honored and, and, and tap into your goddess power. I mean, that, that opportunity is really, really rare and precious. And when, you know, you have this, this tool that can help you achieve that, it, it does, it does affect you and every part of your being. Yeah. I mean, for, for listeners who haven't seen the business of being born, what would you, what would be the number one thing that you would, the reason which you would recommend the film for them? I mean, for me, I think one of the most powerful things about the film is seeing these images of women giving birth in ways you can't even imagine. You know, it's because we, we again, it goes back to cannabis. We've been programmed to think one thing about that, that it's, it's a gateway drug and that it's, you know, loco weed. And, and I mean, all of these things that just like we've, we've just grown up with. And same thing with birth, you know, normal birth to me is not being numb from the waist down and detached from the experience. That's what we've come to, you know, when you watch a baby story and you watch these shows on television, those are the images of women being saved by the hospital system and these emergencies waiting to happen. And thank God we saved the baby. I mean, it's like, no, those are those that happens and there's risk in all of it. There's risk in getting pregnant, you know, all of it. And so I think really seeing those images of those women, including mine, my birth, you know, which I never, ever, ever filmed it to show it to anybody. So it's really so it's still surreal to think about like, like, oh, my God, you know, I would have had better lighting, I would have worn a top and I would have removed the shampoo bottles behind my head. <laughs> there would have been some like art direction happening if I knew it was going to end up in a film, but maybe that's part of the beauty of it. And that child is turning 18 in June. It's so 
freaking crazy. Yeah. I mean, I am forever, um, healed. I mean, and, and we talk about a lot of the stuff in the film of what it does for a woman to give birth, you know, naturally and, and in that way and the oxytocin rush and all of that that you, you know, that you achieve. But also for me, I was a sexual abuse survivor and I dealt with, you know, body image, body loathing for so long. And I think I did a lot of healing seeing what my body was able to do on its own terms. You know, it was, it was big. That's super interesting. I'm a huge John Waters fan and John, um, there's this quote, I think in one of his books, people gave him credit for discovering Ricky Lake. And he was like, no, that wasn't me. If it, if it wasn't me who was going to come across, somebody would have my, my freshman year, I was a freshman at Ithaca College. I was a musical theater major. I was a failed musical theater major. In fact, they told me to quit. They told me that, that she, my, my, my voice and movement and my instructor said I didn't have any talent and that I'd never make it and, and to give up. And so I was there when I got the call about going to an open audition for a lead role in a John Waters movie. They were looking for a fat girl who could dance. And I was like, Okay, the fat part I definitely got, and the dancing I think I could pass, and I got nothing else better to do. So I, I drove down. It was a five-hour commitment each way to go from Ithaca to meet with John. I met with him. I was wearing a big Ithaca College sh- sweatshirt. I was, you know, I was, I was a circle basically. I, I had tits out to here, and you know, he was trying to figure out if I was padding myself and stuff, and I was like. It's all me, you know, having that be my first film, my first role, my first, you know, open every door, but having him as a mentor and, and he really, he gave me advice that I've talked about before, but I'll tell you, he sat me down before the movie came out because it was such a surreal experience. You know, I didn't even process that I was the lead in the movie. I was working so hard every day and I was, I didn't even put it all together. And that's sort of how I've been throughout my career. I don't think about the the after, like the impact that the business being formed form would have. I don't think it through that way. I just feel like this calling to do it or this job that I'm hired to do. And I just do it. My talk show, I did it for the $5,000 pilot money. I never saw that it was actually going to be a hit and last as long as it did. So, um, John sat me down like right before Hairspray was coming out and he said, I want, I want to talk to you. And I said, all right. And he said, I have, you know, I, your life is about to change and I want to offer you some advice. And he said, Number one, always stay humble. Number two, always stay true to yourself. And three, if you're going to read and believe the good things people say about you, you're going to have to read and believe the bad. Mm. So, I mean, that was pre-internet, pre-everything. But yeah, those are the things. And it's, it's, it's managed to keep me, I think, grounded and keep me true to myself all these years in this crazy business. What was it like to do 11 years of, of talk show? Like, what was your life like when you were doing that? It was the best. <laughs> I mean, it was, hours? my hours were so dope. Okay. It was three days a week, two shows a day on average. Sometimes we did three shows a day. We, we worked up later on, but like it was basically Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we do like a four o'clock show and a six o'clock show. And I'd come to work around 11, 30, 12. I had a nursery for my child. I had an assistant. I had the hair and makeup. I had the stylist. I had like my whole team, which was like super fun. I was really good at my job. Like I was really a machine and I would do my like preparation like that. Like I, like it just became second nature to me. And I could usually tell just by the names, I could tell what that family is going to look like, whether they're going to be African-American, whether they're going to be Latino, whether they're going to be, there was definitely like a type of outspoken person that we'd have on the show and the most dynamic story and characters would be in the top of the show. And so I, I could do it to time. Like I had such a system in place cause it, and I under I recognize that it's not an easy job to do. Not everybody can do it. There were like 
50 talk shows that came and went while I was on the air. What I was good, I was a really good listener. Yeah. You know, I was, and I really was, had compassion and curiosity for people and relationships. So there was like a natural interest, even though there were, it was very formulaic. I was really open about my own experiences. I was really good at moving the story along and taking time cues. And I, cause I didn't use an IFB. One of the things. What's an IFB? IFB is the earpiece that you, that connects you to the control room. Mm-hmm. So they can feed you questions. They can tell you things in your ear. I detested that because I didn't want anybody taking me off focus and I didn't want anybody telling me what to say or do. So I refused. And it was like a big bone of contention with, with my executive producer at the time for a while. But um, because it's rare, most people do have an earpiece and um, and I would take time cues from my stage manager. So she and I would like like have to lock eyes all the time because I'm constantly I'm listening and asking a question and I'm how many minutes left. But I I I was I was really good at it. It was an hour. And would you shoot an hour? I did it to time. Very rarely did we go over unless it was like a pageant show that things I was when it wasn't. And sometimes we did live like seasons two and three and four. There were there were episodes we did live, which was amazing because with the studio audience, it was always with a studio audience. But we do a lot actual live show for the five o'clock hour. And it was so it was, you know, there's nothing like it. I mean, it sounds like theater plus it has sort of like a... Anything can happen. Uh-huh. And there's like an energy and it's New York anyway. So it's all these... And our show in the heyday was like, there was like a year waiting list to get tickets. It was like, you know, the show to come see. So it was, it was, it was amazing and I loved it. And ultimately, I'm so grateful I had the platform that I did. I feel like I learned so much about humanity. I think um, I grew as a person, but, but ultimately, like looking back on it, I didn't have a clue who I was and, and what I believed in or where, you know, like what my voice was, you know, it's like my name was on the rug and it wasn't, I wasn't at my optimum best self until later years. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool because I, th- I think about it, that time. So you're like, you're in the nineties, basically you're the bridge. The eighties was ruled by the Donahue, um, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, <coughs> Oprah, of course. And then Young people. We were the voice for young people. And that was a conscious, totally conscious effort on the exact, the creator and executive producer, Garth Anseer. So when he was searching for the new host back, this is in 92 when we did the pilot and I was one of a hundred women. So he wanted someone younger. He looked at the numbers, you know, like the demos for Oprah, Phil and Sally were all over 50. So he wanted to do that 18 to 49, 18 to 34, 18 to 49 target audience. So it was hiring someone young. Um, and so when they picked me, I mean, and they picked, you know, I don't know, I, I know why they picked me. I, I, I was really charismatic in the meeting. I flirted with three gay guys. I, you know, I, whatever I was, I was the, I was right for the part just like Tracy. Um, but I, you know, I mean, they took a huge risk, you know, and it just was like an overnight. I mean, it was literally overnight. We launched on September 13th, 1993, the same day as Conan O'Brien launched his show. Yeah. And, um, we, we just like threw the the ratings just like every week, every week, every week. I mean, they gave me a bonus after the first season. I never really have talked about this publicly, but it was like a bonus of like a half million dollars. It was like, Holy shit. I was 24 years old. I was like, what? Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm the richest friend. Like, I'm like, you know, it it was crazy. They bought me diamond earrings for my birthday. I mean, it was like, it was like all your dreams coming true. And it was just my life, you know? And, um, you know, I met my first husband right after I went on the air. I fell madly in love. I was, you know, it was just like, it was an amazing, amazing time. And yet 
my life has been so much more amazing since that show, you know, the life I've gotten to live and, and I've had severe traumas. I mean, major, major, major trauma that I still am healing from and will for the rest of my life. But my God, my, my career has given me so much, you know, joy and success and ups and downs. You've been able to succeed in, in very different arenas. I mean, you're, you've been in a feature film actress and then you worked in television as a talk show host, and now you've become a kind of a powerhouse um, producer of documentary film. Tell me about Dancing with the Stars. What was that like to be on there? It was incredible. I I didn't see that. It was incredible. I was incredible. It was amazing. Derek Huff is a freaking genius. He is up there with John Waters, and I'm not saying that lightly. He is a master as a teacher, as a choreographer, as a visionary. He is a storyteller. He was, I was blown away by him and he was really hard on me. He was really, really challenging. He was very mean and it was like a mind, um, he would, he would tell me how terrible I would, I would go home every night crying to my husband because he would say, you're terrible, you're terrible. And then I would nail it. Like the day, like he would get the best performance out of me by like knocking me down. Did, Did you go deep on that show? Oh, I got third. I got third, and technically, I got the highest scores of my season. But the guy who won was like a war hero veteran, Mm -hmm. like literally like a scarred burn victim war hero. So he had to win. Like I would, I would have lost by winning right. truthfully. Yeah, totally. So I won by losing and, um, and he was great. His name was JR and he was, he was awesome. And Rob Kardashian got second because he had all the Twitter followers and yeah, I mean, he's, he was a nice guy too. I mean, I, I had said no to dancing with the stars for nine se- nine years. The, the same person, my friend, Dina Katz, who became friends, she's a producer on the show, and she would ask me every year. And I was like, no, 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 no. Especially after Charm School, I'm not doing another reality show. There's no way. And I ended up saying yes because I was going back on the air with a new talk show. And so it made sense. Like it was a, it was a strategic move, but it ended up being one of the greatest experiences. It was so hard dancing for seven days a week for three and a half months. I was a mess. But I learned to become a, an amazing ballroom dance. I mean, I learned ballroom dance. It was incredible. You must have got incredible shape. I got an incredible shape. I lost about 25 pounds. That's been fun. I would, yeah, it was, it was fun and it was hard and it was thrilling because it was live two nights a week, Monday and Tuesday. It was, it was amazing. I, I, and, and I have such a respect for the way they produce that show. Um, cause now having been a host of a different, you know, like I, I, I'm a producer and I see it's, it's. It's incredible what they pull off. Why, why do you say that? Like, is the level of difficulty really, really high for a show like that? The oh. amount that goes into just all the stuff happening, all the, I mean, just, just the choreography, just catching like the, the, the cameras. I mean, there's, there's a million cameras. Um, it's like, it's, it's one of the most amazing productions I've ever witnessed. It's incredible. Um, and the talent that's on that stage. And then, and then you're telling a story. Like, it's not just like, like these professional dancers, there was that, but there's also these, these, uh, contestants who are all sort of famous. So we're not, you know, we're sort of B celebrities for the most part, but, um, it's, it was, and you become like a family and, you know, you're spending all this time together and it's really, you know, it's just, it, it was amazing. And I ended up giving the money away that I made. I, most of it I gave to my nanny's charity. My, she has a school for AIDS orphans in Malawi. So I felt like I was 
being of service. And yeah. we did. Yeah, it was it was it was incredible. So what animates you these days? I mean, obviously, you're quite busy producing documentaries. Are there other parts of the, the show business model that you're engaged in that you that, that really kind of juices you up? I feel like I have a really good balance in my life right now. I mean, you know, I lost my husband two two years. February was two years ago and um, to mental illness and death by suicide. And that, I mean, that just brought me to my, I mean, I don't, I've never gone to a darker place. And mm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm sorry you didn't get to meet him, but your wife got to know him a little bit and he was extraordinary. And he's the one who really opened up my kind of path to plant medicine and, um, psychedelics. And, you know, he brought me to Ibiza when we first met and fell in love. And I, you know, that place is really a magical, not unlike Big Sur to me. I mean, it's a much bigger Island, but it's very, um, conscious. What I find, you know, the North of the Island, I'm not talking about the party scene, there's totally that. And that's a lot of fun, but I prefer like the North and the people that find their way there and live there. There's, there's so it's just extraordinary and international and just, they figured out the key to life basically, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately he couldn't be saved. Um, he was bipolar and struggled tremendously. Um, but he, I, I, I mean, I, I, I so feel that he, I now am like the vessel, you know, and, um, and I don't have the answers. I don't know, but I, but I'm learning and I'm curious and I, I love, um, that I get to make these documentaries that really do, question the status quo and, you know, get people educated so that they can advocate for themselves when it comes to their health and their bodies and their babies. And, and I love that I get to go to Burning Man. I love that. I, I mean, it's like, these are things I'm discovering now, you know, it's, I, I, I wouldn't really change a thing, I think, you know, and I have new love in my life and, you know, I'm, um, just very grateful for the abundance and, and, you know, just, all of it. Just in terms of the, the, the state of cannabis today, do you feel optimistic about the potential for um, people who are suffering uh, to be able to use cannabis in, in a legal manner in the United States? Yes, I'm extremely optimistic. And, and partly, and I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. I'm not even a real advocate. I mean, I, I am by making this film, but it's, it's, I'm not someone that can spew off numbers, but just in start, since starting the film in 2012, I mean, the number of States that have gone legal medicinally, we're now up to 33. Um, we brought the film to Oklahoma two weeks before the referendum on medicinal cannabis. And they showed the film on loop, like for everyone to see, I mean, and it passed by 58% in what is, I'd say one of the most conservative States in the country. I do see major changes. I also think it's, 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 there's so many issues tied to this, the reparations, the, you know, I mean, there's so much that needs to be undone. Obviously it needs to be descheduled. Um, our film is really not about that. It's, and, and, and it's complicated because yes, it should be available to anyone who needs it for whatever they need it for. That is my belief. I believe it is a plant that you should be able to grow in your backyard. If you choose to, you can raw juice the leaf, just like kale. There's no psychoactive effect. That should be a part of our daily maintenance. I believe, um, in my humble opinion, you know, um, but the whole recreational versus medicinal, I mean, I think, you know, the recreational has really done a disservice in California for the medicinal patients. You know, it's really two very separate issues and, and, you know, California is amazing. Actually, I should take that back for the most part because California is one of the best places to be able to get access to this medicine. 
Um, but it's confusing. Dosing is really challenging. There's not enough doctors. It's like so much needs to happen. But um, I do think our film is a, is a really good tool. And it's, you know, following children for five and a half years and seeing, I mean, you're going to see it in a little bit, but it's, it's really important. Just like seeing those images of those women giving baby, giving birth in bathtubs and whatever. It's important for people to see and just at least question, you know, why is this not available to all of us? What's your advice for young documentary film or beginning documentary fil- filmmakers who are kind of like just starting off on, on their craft? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I'd say. I mean, it's, it's like, I think you need to find what you're passionate about and be relentless with it. I mean, I had to make the business of being born. I didn't know what it was going to look like because that was sort of Abby's vision to come up with. And, and it was also the experience, you know, with documentary, what I love, it's, there's no script. There's no, you know, you kind of have a point of view, but you really have to go where it leads you, you know? And so, and that's part of the, the, the mystery and the beauty of the genre, but it's trusting the process, you know, and, but I think first and foremost, you need to find your voice and your passion. What's one of your secret superpowers? What, what's something that you're really good at, Ricky Lake, that not that many people know? I'm an excellent driver. Are you? I'm an excellent driver. And it's like, it's like part of me is like the inner control freak that I am. Uh, and I'm not like someone who I don't care about cars. Like I'm not a car person. I, um, I don't drive f- super fast, but I'm in like a New York aggressive driver. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I don't know. I, I'm really good at that. I'm super, yeah, I, you know, I really, I, it's like the, 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 it's a little off topic, but Christian, my, my, my beloved, I think one of the major gifts he gave me is that he really, um, I now love myself the way he loved me and I really value myself the way he did. Cause I, you know, he's, he really loved me unconditionally. And so the things I do, the time I spend with people now, the relationship I'm in now. I mean, it's like, I'm never going to compromise anything. You know, I'm going to choose, I'm choosing someone who deserves me, you know? And, um, so yeah, it's like, I've learned so much about love through loving Christian, living with Christian and his illness and, and ultimately losing him. Ricky Lake, where can we see the film? Weed the people. It's on iTunes and Amazon, and it'll be on uh, Netflix, I think, May 17th. It drops on Netflix. All right, well, we got to go watch your film. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for, for being here today. My pleasure, Sam. Thanks for talking. Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show was produced in conjunction with Cheryl Frenzel, Geraldine Hess, Lori Putnam, Shannon Hudson, and Ian Golden. Our music is by Nico Holloman. If you'd like to hear more episodes, please find us on iTunes. And if you like what you're hearing, take a second to subscribe, rate us, and review. You can also find all of our episodes at our website, eslen.org. That's E-S-A-L-E-N.org. The Eslen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Programs like this one are made possible by the support of our donors. Thank you so much for your contributions to our world.